I'm India Bastian. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. And this is Southern Queries. Exploring all things LGBTQ in the South. Hi everyone, it's Aubrey, and welcome to another episode of Southern Queries. We're continuing our wedding series, and the last episode we had a great interview where I was able to talk to India, as wife Allison. For this episode, we have India talking to my wife, Victoria. And of course, I asked them to keep it to 15 to 20 minutes, and in great extrovert fashion, as they both are, they talked for about 45 minutes. I'll be back at the end to clear up any misconceptions or lies that my wonderful wife may have told about me. Aubrey told me I have to keep it under 15 to 20 minutes. And I was like, but I love talking. So I'm going to try and keep it short, but I have okay. like a thousand and one questions for you. Um, <laughs> because of course I've heard your guys's journey through Aubrey's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling Aubrey that I think it's really important to uh, make sure that we hear partners of trans people because they go through their own transition, sometimes whether they were expecting it or not. Right. And I think it's really important to highlight those voices, especially yeah. when these couples are still together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten the impression, and correct me if you think otherwise, um, that couples who have partners that transition rarely stay together. Yeah, that is true. um, I think your story is quite a rarity. And I like love hearing about your life through Aubrey and on Facebook and watching you two raise your beautiful child together. Um, So I'm really curious Mm -hmm. about your version. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But we're not going to get into that because I know I have limited time. Sure, um, sure. So first, I'd love for you to introduce yourself because that's how we like to welcome people. Um, mm-hmm. And what pronouns do you use? Okay. Well, I am Victoria Calvin. Um, I am Aubrey Calvin's boss, <laughs> aka her wife. Um, <laughs> We're going on 13 years now, and um, my pronouns are her and she. I am a heterosexual female who identifies as a woman, but attracted to men. Awesome. I love it. So my first question is, were you one of those kids that grew up and was dreaming like of a wedding day and a wedding dress? Nope. <laughs> I was not at all. I have always been and still am a very career focused, career minded woman. And I did not have any fantasies of getting married or having kids. Um, that was just not in my interest. And I even remember in my creative play with like Barbies and stuff, all of my Barbies had careers. Like Ken was secondary. Yes. <laughs> so it didn't matter. He's just a side piece is what he was. So, um, but I think that Aubrey and I both, and we talk about this every now and then, um, we were both really career focused and, you know, I went to college and, you know, did the whole thing and was, you know, had my career 
started was traveling and having fun with my friends. And I traveled for both, you know, work and pleasure. And I always said, if I met somebody great, if I didn't, that's awesome. I was having fun being what I call a super aunt to my niece and nephew at the time who were younger. They're both adults, one of which is married now and may produce my first great grand nephew or niece one day. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but, or great, rather great niece, great nephew. Um, but I didn't have those fantasies of the white dress and the kids and the picket fence. I was going to be like in the condo in New York with my high powered corporate career. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so me and Aubrey, I think when I met Aubrey at the time, um, I was just looking for someone to date just to have fun. And then, you know, we fell in love and got married and had a kid. <laughs> 13. We, we, I always tell people we fell in love. We went on our first date, fell in love, moved in, got married all in less than nine months is how it all happened. So nine months, um, nine months. We met during the holidays in 2007. Then we moved in in 2008 (laughs) in the summer of 2008, moved in together. And then it wasn't that long that she proposed to me. And then we got married that September. I'm trying to remember the date. So yeah, in nine months. And so we've been together for 13 years now. That's incredible. Um, yeah. You already kind of answered a couple of my questions, but awesome. will you tell us about the proposal story? I mean, did you oh, know? Yeah. Were you surprised? Like, how did that all, how did it go? What went well, <laughs> I, I kind of had a suspicion that something was going to happen. I just didn't know when, but not strong a suspicion. We uh, unbeknownst to me, she had already had talked to my mother. We're not super traditionalist people, but I guess she thought it would be respectful to talk to my mom and say, yeah. hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, particularly since we had only known each other for just a little bit. I come home from work and at the time we were living in an apartment complex and I pulled up to our covered parking and on the pole was a bouquet of flowers taped to the pole along with a letter. And my first thought to myself was, who was the idiot who would take flowers in a letter to a pole? Like, that's stupid. (laughs) And so I get out of the car and I'm looking at this letter and it has my name on it. I'm like, oh, now I know who it is. And so I go and I open up this letter and she had written like 10 things that she loves about me, right? So I take the flowers off and I go upstairs to our apartment. And I can't open the door. She had the security lock on. And I thought, okay, what's really going on? And then there was flowers by the door. There were roses by the door. She opened the door. (laughs) So she um, had the flowers by the door. And I knocked on the door. She opens the door. And she was like, I forget what she said to me. Of course, it's been 13 years ago. But um, she's like, I want you to come in and sit down. And so when I walk into the apartment, she had a chair there. And there was more flowers. And then. The poor thing had printed out the sign on copy paper that said, will you marry me? And it was taped on the wall. And of course, I didn't notice this at first because I was kind of thinking, okay, all right, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> and our song was playing, and um, which is You by Jesse Powell. And so the music's playing and everything's right or whatever. And she gets down on one knee and she says a bunch of things that I don't remember because you just never do in that situation. <laughs> She's like, I may not be perfect. That is the line I do remember. I may not be perfect, but I'm so in love with you and blah, blah, blah. And will you marry me? 
And of course, you know, she pulls out the ring. I say, yes, I'm crying. And I look at her. I'm like, oh my God, am I being pumped? You know, and then I look around the room and I see the banner on the wall. And um, so that was our engagement story. And so after that, we were scheduled to drive to Oklahoma to see her family. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody know, knew what was going to happen. I was the only one who didn't know. We're calling people and we're telling them about, oh, we got engaged and it's so exciting. And we get in the car and head to Oklahoma. We stop at Brahms to get a hamburger. And, <laughs> just, and that's our engagement story. That's how we got engaged. Ah, I love it. And yeah, then yeah. you had a wedding a year later, six months later. <laughs> so the original plan is we were going to fly to fly to Vegas and have a Ocean's Eleven theme type wedding. It was a whole thing. And oh then God, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so great. That was our plan. And our friends were like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then um, the plans changed because there were some relatives who wouldn't be able to do something like that. I'm like, well, we want people to come. Both of our siblings elope, which didn't go over well with the parental unit. And so we're like, okay, we need not do that. So we had a traditional wedding and it was going to be for the year following, but we said, why not do it in September? <laughs> so after we had moved in together, got engaged that summer of 2008, we got married in September of 2008 in a small little chapel in Justin, Texas. And we had 50 of our closest friends and family there. We narrowed things down really, really small. Yeah. And just had a really small, intimate wedding. And we had dinner at Johnny Carino's location in Louisville. They have since closed because that was, we ate at Johnny Carino's on our first date. So we decided we'd have our wedding reception there. So it was very low key, very, very simple wedding. And we were focused on the actual marriage part, not so much the wedding part. Although in hindsight, I probably could have given a little bit more energy to the wedding, but it was beautiful. It was nice <laughs> the way that it was. Um Silly question. What's a Johnny Carino's? It was an Italian restaurant. It's like a chain type okay. restaurant, like Olive Garden. <laughs> all, I don't know what that is. Should I? Yeah. Know? Yeah. They had, we had our date at the one a location in Ditton, which I think is, might still be open. But um, for our wedding, we had it in Louisville and we just wanted to keep it, think, you know, keep it simple. Then we had a mini moon at the Adolphus Hotel that weekend. Ooh. And which was really nice. And we got massages and hung out and, you know, had fancy ice cream in our, in our suite. So that was really nice. Um, yeah. So that was, that was the wedding weekend. So I know because Aubrey has hinted that you guys are thinking about eventually doing vow renewals mm -hmm. at Disney, which I know COVID has really put a dent into. <laughs> yeah. But before I ask you about that, I feel like I can't go there without understanding what has happened in between. Sure. And I'm sure it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, try to give you the, like the condensed version. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my, right. my, my, my question is I'd love to hear about that transition for you and how mm -hmm. was it for you? I mean, did you mm -hmm. even know about trans people? Um, how did that affect your marriage? Um, and obviously you guys are still together. So yeah. you got through if you had to go through things. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, it's just, you know, flat out, it's just cheaper to keep her. So I just keep her. 
<laughs> I'm too lazy to go find someone else. I'm just kidding. We're really in love, listeners. I promise we're really in love. Um, <laughs> so I've been asked that question a lot, like, did I know? And the answer to that is no, I didn't know. I always felt there was something different about her, but I never my wildest dreams would have thought it was her struggling with her gender identity. Um, for context, I have extensive knowledge and experience working with the LGBTQ community. I've done lots of volunteer work, lots of uh, sex education work. In previous careers I was in, lots of advocacy work. Um, so I, none of this was foreign to me. So unlike maybe some other couples where one of the partners may not be fully aware of, um, of any of the issues surrounding this and being totally shocked by it and having to also have the learning curve of understanding. I did not, there was no learning curve there um, because of my, my work and my relationships and people who I've advocated for and people who were in my orbit. I have a very diverse group of folks in my, in my life. Yeah. So when Aubrey came out, um, I think for me, my initial reaction was relief because I felt there was always something there. And at first I thought it was related to mental health things because she had struggled with depression. And then at one point there was a, a diagnosis of bipolar and then there was all these other things, but nothing really seemed to fit. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of felt that in my core. I just didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to verbalize it. So when she came out, it was almost like ripping the bandaid, like, okay, finally we have a, we have a starting point. And then it was like, Oh shit. Like she's doing <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> okay. And then I remember that night we, we talked and we cried and, um, she had told me that, you know, prior to her telling me this, she had been, um, out of town on business. And when she came back, she expressed to me that she had spent some of her time there. Um, when she was out of town, she went and got her nails painted. Paint. And, you know, at the time she was male presenting at that time and she had bought shoes, but her fear was that she didn't want to fall down a path where she was hiding these things from me. She didn't want to lie to me mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking to myself at that time, what would it be like if I were the one who came out? And had spent all these years wrestling with this and being conflicted and knowing that my marriage and my relationship with my child or my family life as I know it is on the line. How would, how would I want Aubrey to show up for me in this, in this situation? And so I think coupled with the fear that she was about to totally mess up everything, the fact that she felt brave enough to come out to me and there's other factors too like we were to a lot of our relatives like we did the thing like we were the perfect little black educated couple and sometimes these issues are hard to grapple with from a cultural standpoint in the african-american community these are things we still struggle with greatly and so to have to knowing that we are now going to have to present ourselves to the world as something that we're not something that's not looked at as the perfect thing. Right. Right. So there's all these different feelings and stuff that, that come to mind. And for the longest time, I just didn't have the words for it. Like I couldn't really express how I felt. 
because on one half I was relieved that finally we're getting somewhere with this because I knew something was going on. I just didn't know. And I was relieved for her. So she wasn't burdened having to carry this all her life and not be who she truly is. And then start worrying about, okay, so now we got to deal with family. We got to deal with coworkers. We got to deal with society. That's not always kind and cruel. And then I start worrying about her safety. And what ended up happening is I was not angry at her. I was never angry at her. I think I felt sad that she couldn't live her full self when she realized that this is who I am. Um, What I felt was overly protective of her. Like Mm -hmm. I was wife bear. Like I felt when we, I just felt any moment we would be out and someone would try to attack us. And this was early in her transition. Um, Or I was, there were some pretty, these individuals are not a part of this conversation. So I want to respect that, but there are uh, family members and such that this was a hard pill to swallow. And it resulted in some, some feelings. And there are some, for me, perhaps some things, some unresolved things that I've had to let go of because everyone deals with this differently. And it, I just disagreed with how certain people dealt with certain things. Yeah. But, um, but again, you know, getting out of my emotions had to realize, well, everyone's going to come to this differently. And I just can only own how I feel about it. Yeah. So I dealt with a lot of that anger, not towards Brie, but towards other people because I was being protective. And then there was Corinne and being protective of her because I didn't want anybody coming after my baby because her daddy's now her Maddie, you know? So I just, I think for me, it, 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 I became so super protective over my family and no. And I think the questions I got from people were like, well, the two things that people want to know when (laughs) when your spouse transitions, are you getting divorced and are you having sex? And so I would say, no, we're not getting divorced. And if we, if none of this would have happened, would you ask us if we were having sex? I think you would just probably assume that married couples have sex, whatever. But in this context, what makes you think that it's okay for you to ask me if me and Aubrey are having sex? Yeah. Like inappropriate. (laughs) Excuse me. You wouldn't otherwise. Exactly. It's like, how about you not worry about that? But people were so curious about it. They wanted to know. I'm like, we're not a novelty. We're not a sideshow. We are a married couple in a loving relationship. So you can infer whatever you want to, but I'm not going to have that conversation with you. Yeah. It's almost like they wanted to be relieved. Like, are you guys having sex? Is she transitioning? Is she keeping her male parts? Because that makes them feel comfortable to know those things. Like we can still function like a like a heterosexual couple. And I'm like, I'm gonna need you not to be all in my bedroom. Don't worry about it. Yeah, for real. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Very so, odd. Uh, did that bring you guys closer in your marriage? Did it strengthen it? Yes. And I know for some couples that face this, it, it's a non-starter. Like the marriage dissolves for whatever reason. And there could have been issues in the marriage prior to the transition. It could be that one spouse uh, has some type of religious convictions or whatnot that prevents them from accepting that. It could be a a variety of different things. For me, I feel that because I am such an open person, and I think because of my knowledge and my experiences and the fact that I am perfectly comfortable 
being a heterosexual woman who's in love with somebody who is transgender, who's married to someone who's transgender. I, I'm in love with Aubrey, the person. And as her body's changed and has certain things have changed over the years, none of that was really a worry to mm-hmm. me because I'm secure in myself and I'm okay with all of these changes. And, and I think as a couple, we, um, the foundation of our marriage was still strong. We, we didn't have any marital issues and we still don't. Like, I'm not saying that our marriage is perfect, but we didn't have, this was the issue. This was the challenge. This was it. If there was something that was going to happen, and we've had a lot of things happen. Like I've lost my job. We've had sick parents, all that stuff. But this was the thing that almost shattered the marriage. But the one thing we were scared of was not being together. Like we couldn't even say the word divorce. Wow. That would just, I mean, I would just, I would lose it. I'm like, I, I'm married to someone who loves me and I love the hell out of her. And we have this beautiful kid and this great life. And we're friends, like we're best friends. And I'm like, I don't want to lose my best friend. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't, I mean, she is, she is my lobster. Like I can't, I, I don't want that to end, you know? And so I said, well, girl, I mean, grab your bra and let's go. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> like what we need to do. And we did go to counseling for a little bit, but we found that we were okay. And we, I think along the way, um, most of what I was dealing with was anger and resentment that I cast upon others for their reaction to her transition, sure. not necessarily her. Yeah. And then I was worried for her safety because there were some things that put her in harm's way. And so I was worried about that. And then I was worried about our daughter in terms of how she would be accepted in her social circles. And, and for the most part, we have been very fortunate. And I think that we have some protective factors in that. I think the fact that we had a strong marriage to begin with, that we're both pretty open individuals, um, strong, well, Aubrey now, strong in her identity, growing stronger year by year, me solidly strong in, in who I am. Um, we love each other. Uh, we love our kid. We both are gainfully employed. We both are educated individuals. We have a strong family unit. We had all these protective factors, and I think that helped when, um, even in the bad parts, even when there was some conflict, I think it helped us weather the storm. But we always knew we had each other if we had nobody else. And I know for some people that just sounds like, why? you know, I tell this story sometimes to folks, and, and I've gotten the responses of, you know, they just don't get it. Like, they stare at me with these question marks, like, how could you do that? Like, why, why would you not leave? And I'm like, would you leave the person you're in love with? just because they look differently on the outside? Mm. I don't know. That may sound judgy because people's marriage terminates for whatever reason. And I understand that it's a non-starter for some people. Like I get that. I totally get that. But for me and my marriage, I wasn't willing to sacrifice that. Everything we worked for, for our relationship and the fact that we love each other, I wasn't willing to do that and neither was she. And so we said, well, let's figure it out. So what I did was I start seeking the stories and experiences of couples who stay together. And have you found them? I mean, are they? Oh, absolutely. Um, more, not a ton of people who are black, because I was very curious about that too. But just in general, just seeking out folks that may have been open about their relationship, uh, like Helen Boyd, um, who, whose husband at the time I think she refers to her partner as her wife transitioned 
And so um, it's very interesting reading her work. And there were others. And then some people who shared like their personal life, they weren't some academic or expert in the field, just, you know, a regular old person like me who's experiencing this and is in a relationship. And I think, and it wasn't just uh, heterosexual couples or hetero presenting couples I was looking at. I was also looking at stories of folks who are same-sex couples who also experienced a partner transitioning. So uh, there's one particular blog post I read of a a same-sex couple, lesbian couple, which one partner transitioned, female to male. And all of the things that you would expect one and feelings you expect one to have just in general, of course, it doesn't matter the couple composition, you're going to deal with these issues when that expectation is violated, if something is changing on such a big level like that. So how did that change your own identity, if at all? I think for me, it, it, overall, it didn't. But I think that I, it underscored that I am probably a little bit more uh, fluid in my own sexuality than maybe I had recognized before. Like, I have the words for it. I always kind of knew that I was. But I, I think I didn't have any hangups over you know, what life would look like or what Aubrey would look like or how we would continue on as a romantic couple. I became, um, wasn't curious, but open to whatever the possibilities were and being comfortable, us more focused on us being comfortable as a couple and us being able to carve a life that works for us. But as far as my own identity, I've, I have always been very strong, very positive in who I am. And also open to possibilities that, you know, I could be okay with certain things and it's not a big deal to me. And maybe I am on the scale of (laughs) sexuality, a little bit more fluid than what I had originally thought. But this is someone who's always only dated men. I haven't dated or been in a sexual relationship with women or someone who is transgender or whatnot. But but I'm not going to also deny me being a sexual human being either <laughs> what may look good or what not look great to me or be attracted to just because you know whatever chromosome they have so I in that regard um I think now as I'm getting older I'm realizing that I'm probably a little bit more fluid than what I had thought originally wow wow that is such an incredible story I think what really yeah. kind of shocks me even though it probably mm-hmm. shouldn't is how comfortable you two are Mm-hmm. And Aubrey and I, I, I know that in the future we might talk about parenting together, but I'm sure there's so many layers to your guys' story that I think could be so helpful for other couples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just amazed by it. And I just love hearing your version of it too. Um, yeah, so yeah. Tell me about the vow renewals. Um, I know that Woo! couples, regardless if they are um, in a new phase of their lives, like Aubrey has been, yeah. you have been, people do it anyway, but is this vow renewal significant? Is it different? Like, tell me more. I think it's very significant. I think it's kind of like presenting ourselves again as, you know, who we are and just really underscoring the fact that, you know, we're the Calvins and we're the Calvins forever and we love each other. And, um, we're in love and we're best friends and we're not perfect, but I think that we are perfectly matched. And, um, well, 
we're an eHarmony couple, so of course we're perfectly matched. <laughs> I don't know if I told you that. <laughs> At least that's what the analytics say. You know, we're perfectly matched. 13 years going. Here you go. Um, but the, I think it's half like doing the wedding that we probably should have done 13 years ago if I wasn't such a, a butt about not wanting to. I want to keep it simple. And so does she. But I think we're also too at, both of us are going to be 40 this year. So we're also at an age and a stage in our life where we have a little bit more money to spend. We can do things a little bit more, you know, extravagantly and we're huge Disney fans. And so it's really just a celebration of what we were able to overcome and to really just underscore that we, we are in love and we're a strong couple. And with Corinne makes three, we're a strong family. And, um, we're going to celebrate that in the most magical place in the world. So our plan initially, we don't know when this is going to happen yet because you, you need some Skrilla in order to get married at Disney world. Like you need tons and tons of money. Um, so we've been looking at different packages and whatnot. We're not going to be able to have the grand in front of the castle wedding. Cause that's $30,000, but we are going to have something nice that we have other options with a small number of guests and, um, I've been trying to think of what I would want to wear. I kind of go back and forth from wanting to have like this really cool, like suit type thing to a vintage dress. I don't know. I know yeah. Aubrey definitely wants to wear a dress and Corinne being a, a huge part of the ceremonies of her walking down the aisle with us. Um, because she is, you know, she's the boss really, truly. Um, and I just have, we both have visions of just this beautiful, magical experience where we're celebrating our love and having a great party after and all the Disney bells and whistles and whatnot. Um, and spending time in a place that we enjoy, um, staying at a beautiful, one of the Disney properties, the resort, having a great meal, and just really enjoying the fact that we have, we have made it through. So um I imagine that every penny that we throw at this thing is going to be so worth it. And we're going to have that wedding ceremony. I think we probably should have had back, you know, 13 years ago. So we're going to, we're going to pull out all the bells and whistles on this one. I think so. Uh -huh. It'll be really nice. So I guess my last couple questions. Um, when people ask Corinne about her parents, do you guys identify as just like parents or is the identification label has it mm -hmm. changed and when you're booking things at disney mm -hmm. are you being open about what kind of couple you guys are or do you mm -hmm. guys just say an encompassing word like how do you guys maneuver the world together sure um so with respect to corinne i'll answer that first um when she when brie came out corinne was four or five and so when she actually started, when her friends actually started noticing that her parents looked different, it was when she was in kindergarten and she went to a, a small private school, secular school. And we chose that school because it was <laughs> secular school. Yeah. And the staff there was absolutely wonderful and welcoming and used the proper pronouns and called us Corinne's moms and the whole nine. Um, her friends' parents, the same. Like, I don't think we encountered any, well, uh, the, the friends that we made from that school were all very open and accepting and welcoming and refer to us as Corinne's moms. You know, there were kids that had questions and Corinne didn't quite know how to answer those questions because when you're kindergarten, you don't have the language to, to really answer that question. And so we just talked to her teachers and said, you know, hey, um, 
this is what's going on in our family. And I know kids are curious and they're going to ask questions, but it would be great if Corinne feels uncomfortable. Maybe you can intercede and redirect the conversation. And her kindergarten teacher, who's a saint, was like, that is absolutely no problem. And so she would tell me after school, she'd be like, yeah, I heard, you know, little Johnny or whoever asked Corinne a question. And she's like, and I redirected him and, and whatnot. And it's like, you know, if Corinne wants to answer those questions down the road, you know, she can, but right now let's go do, you know, something else. And she would redirect the children. And she was very, very attentive to, as like, she's amazing. She's so, we love Miss Kelp for like life. But um, she would help redirect the conversation, redirect the child. And children are really easy to redirect, right? They forget what they said a minute and then they go on and do something else. But Corinne would say to us, she's not, she, she doesn't want to talk about it. And I, to us, that signaled that she just didn't have the language for it. As she got older, she was able to articulate, yes, I have a Maddie. And my Maddie is... Uh, used to be a man and now is a woman and I have my mom and I think for a lot of kids at the school um, I attributed their acceptance and openness to the fact that well they're kids and also their parents um, they interacted their interaction with us was very positive and um, what they were teaching their kids at home and I found that a lot of the parents had a great deal more knowledge than what I had assumed they may have so it, it helped to be in a school where there were a lot of uh, parents who were at least who at least had some knowledge of it. But again, we were a very, very small school. So there was like 60 something kids. Yeah. Um, and now Corinne has, you know, we always check in with her every now and then and say, hey, you know, how are you feeling about this and how are you feeling about that? And it's become just second nature to her. She's used to Aubrey being Maddie. And it was her choice to call her Maddie. And um, she sees she calls us her moms and everybody else calls us her moms in regards to booking things like with disney they are top notch so when i told our disney travel advisor I'm like oh who's gonna they'll ask well who's gonna be joining you on your party and i'm like well it's gonna be my daughter and my wife oh well great we're so excited to have you ladies come and then they use the you know the proper words and all that stuff so, you know disney they're trained to do all these things right I was like, they better be. <laughs> they better be. And they have, even though Disney has some, you know, room to grow when it comes to diversity and whatnot, they, they've really tapped into the LGBTQ market because, it, because there are a lot of folks in the community that are Disney fans and there's an economic benefit <laughs> for them to make sure that they are uh, serving all people, um, not just, you know, certain groups. So they are the travel agents and all the staff and, and whatnot. Even when we went to Disney World, it was just phenomenal. We didn't ever feel like, you know, we were being mistreated or, or whatnot. And then there's, you know, other interactions that we have outside the Disney bubble, clearly. You know, there might be somewhere people just make assumptions. Like they don't put two and two together that we might be a married couple, particularly here in the South. So Tell me we're Southern Query, so let's bring that up, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so I, there's very few times we'll go to dinner and not be asked if we want separate checks. But any other place we've traveled, like if we go up north, when we went to Colorado, that's, that's clearly north, more northern than Texas, clearly. Um, everywhere we went, they asked, uh, they would just bring the check. They wouldn't ask. Like, it was like, it's so different depending on where we go. Um, but here we are hardly ever, it's never assumed that we're actually a couple. It's just assumed that maybe we're sisters or friends and you want separate checks and blah, blah, blah. So it really depends on the interaction. Um, we haven't had a ton of negative things happen. Very, very few experiences. People who want 
<laughs> yes. People who just don't want to interact with us, they ghosted us and have moved on. Um, there were some painful things that have happened. Uh, but we just said, you know what, we just don't need those people in our lives. And so we're going to move on. So most of the time our interactions are positive. Um, and it's gotten increasingly better when she was first transitioning. Um, people would notice, you know, um, if she was wearing a skirt or wearing makeup or wearing a wig. And I think that was, I've gotten more relaxed and not as protective now, but in that first initial two or three years, it was my, my guard was always up. Um, now, uh, she, people call her by feminine pronouns. There's no second guessing. There's no staring. There's no anything. Yeah. Um, as it was before. So it's, it's changed over the past six or seven years for sure. Um, I've never been uncomfortable, but you know, (laughs) other people may be. Sure. And I guess my my last question or follow-up question to that is, I mean, does it, is it strange for you to have people assume that you guys are a lesbian couple when clearly you're not, or you're okay with the label? Does that ever come up? You know? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine with it. But I, but I also don't, I like, I'm not trying to put on, you know, airs either. Like if, if I don't ever want it to come across as I'm trying to pass as something that I'm not, but sometimes it's okay to just let the assumption fly because the assumption's easier to let fly than it is to try to explain to somebody and go, well, <laughs> this is, <laughs> we're technically not a lesbian couple, but this is really the deal. And I just, I don't have the, sometimes it's just easier to let the assumption pass. And we present as a lesbian couple. And sometimes it's just easier to do that. Um, I don't think that, I think in some ways it became, this is going to sound odd saying this because we know that there are instances where people are not, uh, that are violent towards same-sex couples, but in a way it became a protective factor because when she started presenting and looking more female, the assumption was there versus her looking like a male wearing female clothing. And so I was almost like, I, I would think to myself, I'll be glad when we get to the stage where people just think we're a lesbian couple. So we have to deal with this negative, these negative looks that we were getting. So on in one hand, it was almost a protective factor. But on the other hand, I started worrying about, um, I don't want people to think that, like this, this past month, we were featured on the cover of Gay Parent Magazine. I saw um, that. Yeah. And so my, my first thought was, okay, you know, yeah, we, we look great. We send a great picture. And then I thought, I don't want, I hope that I'm not misleading people. Like I'm, I'm authentically who I am and she's who she is, but I don't want to mislead either mislead people either. So it really is a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, it does appear that we're a lesbian couple, but on the other hand, are we technically by the book, a lesbian couple? So yeah. That's where my hangup is. It's a thin line to be on because it almost yeah. feels, and I hate that it feels this way, but it almost feels safer if you yeah. guys are a lesbian couple than a couple with someone who transitioned. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there's the I'm black factor in yeah. the South. I feel yep. like just so many different layers. It is. Um, so last follow-up question, I swear. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, how has the community been like the lgbtq community do you Mm -hmm. guys have other um, gay couple friends or other trans friends have you found other people like yourself 
um, you know, is it rare or are you just like, oh my God, there's so many of us. (laughs) I wish the latter was the case. We have friends who are, uh, who are part of the LGBTQ community. Some are coupled, some are not. Um, but those aren't individuals that we hang, like they're not in our, they're not local, like they're in other places. Like one of my good friends is in Houston. Um, she was a college friend of mine. Um, our friends that we hang out with pre-COVID are all <laughs> heterosexual couples that we friended from Corinne's school when she used to go to private school. And we remain friends with them because they are so accepting and are so chill and have been really supportive of our family. But we have yet to meet another couple like us and particularly a black couple mm. like us. So we and sometimes we sometimes feel like we're an anomaly, like we're little unicorns just bouncing around this world. And so we've we've decided, you know what, we're just gonna friend people who accept us. And if at some point in our journey we do meet other couples who have a similar experience or a similar walk, that'll be great. But I wish I could say that we had other couples that we knew that have experienced the same thing. I think that would have been super helpful in the beginning. But what I did find is some people who were no longer in my social circle started distancing themselves because we were no longer that heterosexual or hetero presenting couple. And that was uncomfortable for them. So if anything, we lost some friends, but we gained some friends too, but not gained more friends that are in the community. <laughs> so um, I've always felt like, even though I have m- years of experience with uh, having friends in the community, being an advocate and all those things, I think showing up to this as someone who's married to someone who's transgender, I had to learn a lot about the intergroup struggles and how people either accept or don't accept transgender people in the LGBTQ community. Like we can't not say that there aren't those issues because there are those issues. (laughs) And so that opened my eyes up very big because in my mind and in my experiences, it's just this one happy big community, right? We're all accepting and diverse and we're, you know, there's whatever. And then to learn about all the intergroup issues, I'm like, well, I need to uh, step back a minute and, and educate myself on this because there may be some circles that we're not welcome in, mm-hmm. even within the community. And so I had, so <laughs> had to grapple with that as well. By and large, we've been pretty accepted in the limited things that we've done. Uh, she and I are not big, like I like to socialize, but you know, she's a hermit. <laughs> so she doesn't really, she's my little, my little introvert. Um, so it's not like we're going to parties and all that stuff well, often. now with COVID. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but social gatherings or whatnot with other individuals in the community, uh, from, from what we have energy to do, um, have all been nothing but positive. But there are, I think there are some circumstances or some situations I've been in where I'm like, I'm not quite sure I'm welcomed here. Like just reading the room. Like they may be accepting of Brie, but maybe they're not quite accepting of me. Maybe I'm the interloper. Maybe I need to sit back and observe. Maybe I, like, I'm not quite sure the role 
I should play. And I kind of had, I've recognized it as not me overreacting, but it's kind of the same feeling I have if I'm in a group of a lot of white people (laughs) and I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm not welcomed here. Like that's a very, I've only had that experience. I could maybe count on my hand the number of times I've had that experience, but you just know when maybe you're not quite welcome in the group. And so I've, I've had that experience in the community only just a handful of times. And so that prompted me to say, okay, let me learn a little bit more about the intergroup dynamics of the LGBTQ community and what that means and how that plays out. I mean, that's partly why we wanted to do this podcast was I knew that Aubrey's story was quote unquote rare, even in the LGBTQ community. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was even more powerful given your race and your situation in the South. I was like, People got to hear your story. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I have to? Like, I know. Yes, she's so reluctant. <laughs> but I think it's important to talk about it. And um, I think it's important be- because there may be other couples out there that are like us that are fearful for of coming out or, or just in general of putting it out there. And that, you know, in fact, there are trans couples or couples who one partner is transgender or maybe both. Yeah. Who are living and thriving and have successful relationships and have careers and have families and, and whatnot that that we're not as much as an anomaly as one might might think. And that there are people such as myself who are okay and are in love and just as attracted to their partner as they were prior to them transitioning. And so and I also think yeah. there's the, the flip side of there might be someone in your situation who doesn't even know that that future can exist. So Absolutely. I'm hoping that your guys' story not only might bring validation to people who are existing in the same situation, but mm-hmm. also hope for yes. people who might want to see a future, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So my last closing question <laughs> is what is the best marriage advice that you've ever gotten? <laughs> Considering I don't like getting advice from people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like none. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, I think that I'm, I'm thinking about a woman that I used to work with years ago and her and her husband at the time were married for 30 years. And so I'm assuming if both <laughs> still around, um, they're going on their 50th year of marriage. Ooh. And um, if I'm doing the math right. But I remember I asked her very early on in me and Bree's relationship, Bree snores when she sleeps. She'll deny, but she does. And, <laughs> and so she would go out into the living room sometimes and I would wake up and I'm like, where is she? And, and I would get so upset. Like, why would you leave our bed at the middle of the night, whatever? And so I asked my coworker and I'm like, can I ask you something? You've been married for like ever. And she's like, yes, forever. And I'm like, should I make it a thing if Aubrey is like sleeping on the couch? And at the time she was not Aubrey, she was Brian. And I, and she, she was like, well, what's the deal? I'm like, well, she kind of snores really loud. And I think maybe she feels some way about it. So she goes out to make sure that she's not bothering me. She was like, my husband and I sometimes sleep separately because we can't get to sleep if the other one is snoring. She's like, honey, in the grand scheme of things, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And so all those years, I've kind of carried that with me. She's like, you will find as you grow in your marriage that there are some things you're just going to have to let go of. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the argument. 
And it's okay, even if you think you're right, to give your spouse a win if it means that you guys can have peace in your relationship. Not with all things, but don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And I've kept that advice for all these years. And I think that's served us well that I've, I think as I've get older and as I've matured, there are some things that she'll do now that I probably would have blown up 13 years ago. And yeah. now I'm like, I ain't got the energy, whatever do you boo? <laughs> like <laughs> Just whatever. Like, and I, I think one of the things, if I could impart anything for your listeners is that the, the, our marriage and what makes our marriage work didn't change. I think it got stronger over the years. Our same ebbs and flows, our same disagreements, our same interests in when we come together, our love, our romance, our intimacy. Um, there are some things you accommodate for, but there's, by and large, most of what we have as Vicki and Aubrey didn't change. And I think we were both fearful that it would. And we've put in a lot of work to make sure that we're here for each other and that we support each other and that we're okay, that we're doing life together and it's okay. And as I said at the top of the show, it's just cheaper to keep her. So <laughs> who would want to date? Like who would want to get on Tinder and do the whole thing? Like I've already been there, done that. I've seasoned her. She's good. We're staying together. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Victoria, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to um, get all of this juicy information out to our listeners. <laughs> So glad to be on. Thank you. So just a few misconceptions that I do want to clear up. It's Aubrey again. Number one, I don't snore. So that's never been proven. Number two, Victoria is not my boss. Clearly our daughter Corinne is the boss of our family. And number three, I think I'm practically perfect as a spouse. So there's nothing that she's really had to let go. So just to clar clarify those few things. Uh, if you want to keep up with Victoria, she has her own business where she teaches scrapbooking and she's at victoriamarieblog.com. You could also see her on Facebook or YouTube at Victoria Marie Scraps. And her Instagram is, handle is at Victoria Marie Scraps. And of course, we'll put all of those in the show notes. We'll see you all on our next episode when we'll be looking at the politics of queer marriage and how we got to this point of marriage equality, what the steps were, and really what comes after that. So we'll see you in a couple weeks for that. Of course, if you want to follow us, all of our social media sites are in the descriptions. What would really help us is if you would all would go to Apple iTunes, give us a good rating, give us a great review, really help spread the word so that more people can learn about Southern Queries. We'll talk to you all next time. Bye.